0: Well, today we want to uh, continue in our study of the uh, book of Acts, and we've come to a very important spot, a very important spot in the Bible. I mean, you know, uh, this is one of those passages where uh, you think to yourself, well, you know, I'm going to give a message on it, but you could talk about it for a really uh, long time because it's you know because it has so many there's so many facets uh, to it but i thought what we would do is try to get out of it what we're supposed to understand from it i i think that this is one of those passages, in the second chapter of acts is one of those passages and there's a number of them in the bible where we seek answers to questions that are not being answered there you know and i think that's really important okay for example uh, Acts chapter two is not really about like doctrine. Okay, that, that's important to understand. It has been a, a, a passage that has spawned uh, entire denominations. Uh, uh, frankly, when you read the whole chapter, you know the beginning of the chapter, you have one set of uh, one set of groupings. Uh, at the end, of, at the other end of the chapter, you have another set of of, of groupings right? Uh, And uh, the text of the second chapter of Acts was not meant to form denominations, (laughs) okay? Uh, And I think it's really important that we understand what we really can uh, get out of it, is, in other words, what's intended in the text, what's actually intended for us to get out of it, and I think something pretty electrifying. Uh, In fact, the temptation is to read, you know, all 47 verses and go verse by verse, right? That would be the temptation. But, you know, I, there's always a doorway out of temptation, so, okay? All right, so I'm not going to do that. But you kind of need the whole chapter to, to really get it. So I might bounce around a little bit. We'll see. The, the chapter's divided up into three parts, okay? The first part is the event. The second part is the explanation of the event, and the third part is the response of people to the, to the event, okay? So what is very tempting is to talk about the first and the third parts. But you need the second part because of what Peter is saying. It's probably one of the most important speeches in the Bible. Uh, and so we're going to, um, today, mostly focus on the first part, okay? So what we have here is, the reason this is so important, this, this uh, chapter... This event is so important. We could say that everything, I mean, in a grandiose painting with a huge broad brush, everything in the Bible before this is leading up to it. And everything after it is the result of it. If we're going to get more specific, we could say everything in the ministry of Yeshua is leading up to it. And then everything after it is either an explanation of it, the reaction to it, the response of it and uh, including all of the applications to our own, uh, to our own lives, okay? So uh, if you've been coming or you've read uh, the first chapter of Acts, you know that the apostles and others, uh, we found out it's about 120 people altogether, are waiting. Yeshua is no longer visible, right? We talked about that. That uh, here he's with them, he's with them, all this time, then of course you know when he dies, everything falls apart. Everybody runs away, and they're rejecting him. You know, never knew the guy, right? You know that that kind of thing, right? Uh, and then he appears again. He's resurrected from the dead, and now uh, for a period of forty days, he's with them. He's teaching them. He is encouraging them, uh, and and so on, right? Okay. Then he disappears. He disappears. They don't understand that he ascended to the right hand of the Father. You know, I, they never went to a Bible school or took an MSI class or, you know, he just disappears into the clouds. Whoa. And now all they know is he told us to wait because something's going to happen. Right? Uh, the promise of the Father, the, the baptism or the immersion of the Holy Spirit, of the, of the Ruach. Whatever that means. Again, it's easy for us to read our own denominational type of influences or Bible doctrine or just the rest of the New Covenant back into it. But if we put ourselves in the shoes of the people that are there, they don't know what's happening other than to wait. They know that um, uh, they're waiting for power, uh, right? That's Because uh, they ask him a question while Yeshua is with them, just before he ascends, just before he disappears, they ask him, are you going to restore Israel now, like coming attractions? Like, is that what's going to happen? Because that's what's supposed to happen, uh, uh, you know? Uh, and, and all this, they're asking the right question. Uh, and Yeshua uh, says to them, I, uh, you'll, you'll see when, you'll know when it happens. You'll know when that takes place. It's not for you to know times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, right? Uh, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So they know that something's going to, the, there's going to be this pouring out of the Ruach, which means the beginning of the end, and they're going to be empowered to tell the story. To witness, okay. So here's a little hint of how of what this whole chapter of chapter two is going to mean to us. Notice that it doesn't say, "You shall be uh, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to feel really great about yourself, to be a fulfilled human being, uh, and uh, to know that you belong to God and He has a wonderful plan for your life and He's going to give you everything you want." Okay. Notice that that's not what it says right? He says, You it will come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. You shall be my emissaries. You shall tell the story. Very important for us to get. That's what they're waiting for. This empowerment, this empowerment to serve God, to be a testimony in word and in deed, okay? And so then we saw that he disappears, and now uh, they spend the rest of the time, there's 10 days, 10, I'll say, long days that they're waiting. They don't know how long it's going to be, right? They don't know how long. But they're waiting each day, each day, waiting. And they're praying, right? They're praying. And then they do something very important that we talked about in a previous message. And that is, they add another apostle. And that's very interesting. It's almost like, like, what difference does it make? Why is this even here? that you, you, you know they're added, they, they go through this whole thing about adding another apostle. And we talked about that, that they had to have this understanding, this notion that there's 12 of us, right? Because if you remember, Yeshua told a parable about workers in a vineyard, right? Uh, and about how uh, the vineyard is, uh, is not doing well, and so he sends uh, people to help with the vineyard, and they all, get, they all die, and then he, he says, uh, the owner of the vineyard says, I'm going to send my son, and they kill his son. And then he, uh, he says, the moral of the story is, I'm giving, he's talking to his apostles, talking to the 12 apostles, is I'm giving you this authority over this vineyard. And so they knew that as a group of 12, the 12, like representing the 12 tribes uh, of Israel, uh, that they were going to have uh, this authority. Now, each of the apostles did not come from a different tribe. That's not the point, but that there were 12 of them. And then we read that they would be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And so th- the reason that this is so important, I would suggest, is that Luke is bringing out that what is about to happen is the beginning of the revival of Israel. The beginning of the restoration of Israel. And so there needs to be 12 of us for the revival of Israel, for the restoration of Israel. Okay? Because with we don't have chapter headings. The coming up with a 12th apostle is just before the big event. It's like the preliminary thing that there must be in order for everything to unfold. All right? So now there's 12 apostles again, and we come to the beginning of chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, okay? This is really called preaching to the choir, right? Uh, Pentecost is not Pentecost Sunday, uh, you know, Pentecost here is the Greek way of saying 50 days, you know, 50 days, which is the, uh, the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot. In the Bible, the uh, in uh, Leviticus chapter 23, the second Feast of First Fruits, right? Fifty days, uh, of course, you have Passover, and then you have the Feast of First Fruits, the early spring harvest. Then there's 50 days to the next harvest, which is the late spring uh, harvest, the harvest uh, uh, season. Uh, and uh, so at this time, at this time in history, in the late second temple period in Jewish history, they were really coming for two purposes. They were coming uh, to Jerusalem with uh, uh, the late spring harvest, right? But also they were coming because uh, it was understood that, uh, that Moses had received the Torah on this uh, holiday, okay? So it's really uh, quite uh, fascinating that it would be on Shavuot. And certainly that answers a question of why so many people, so many Jewish people were in Jerusalem from so many other places. This is the answer to that question it was this holiday, right? And uh, most of us here are familiar with how God has used the, the, the feasts, the Jewish holidays, uh, in the message of uh, Yeshua. Right? He's the Passover lamb, right? When we read in 1 Corinthians, especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, about the resurrection, Yeshua is called the first fruits of the resurrection. He rose on that day of first fruits. And now it is no coincidence that 50 days later comes this great harvest festival, okay? As uh, Shavuot. And this uh, amazing, dramatic thing is about to take place. So it says they're all together in one place. Now, the fact that it is Shavuot adds yet another layer to this idea that this is about a Jewish event. This is about an event in Jewish history. It's about a revival taking place in the history of the Jewish people, okay? That affects the whole world, as Acts will clearly demonstrate, and the rest of the new covenant, all right? Okay, so now here they are in one place. Now, Where are they? Where is this one place? Well, uh, it is either the upper room where uh, they had the Passover Seder, or it's another upper room where they were praying and where they chose Matthias or Matthias, uh, the twelfth, the new twelfth apostle, or it's another place. Uh, Nobody knows uh, for sure. My guess would be is that they were in the uh, room where they were praying and where they chose a Matthias, wherever that was, somewhere in the old city of Jerusalem, not far from the uh, Temple Mount. Uh, And actually, there's a traditional location. Uh, The traditional location is near the Zion Gate, near the Zion Gate, not far from where dawn goes to school, actually. Okay? All right. Now, all of a sudden, something happens. All of a sudden, there came... From heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Okay, so a noise like a violent rushing wind. You know, that's uh, uh, kind of interesting because we read in some uh, other places about violent rushing winds. Uh, In Ezekiel chapter 13, for example, you can read it on your own. Now, there and anywhere else, it talks about a violent wind or uh, a real windy wind, right? Uh, That it's uh, for the purpose of judgment. It's kind of interesting, for the purpose of judgment. But I would say that what's interesting for our purposes here is that it is some kind, it's a visitation from God, you know, that I think for our purposes that it's not about a, a judgment on these people. Right? But rather a visitation from God. And a violent rushing wind is something that we read about earlier in Jewish history of God visiting uh, upon the people. So, this also, again, uh, is something that is not uh, so foreign to. Uh, Jewish ears or Israelite ears in terms of God's visitation. To these people, it was spectacular and unbelievable and something they had never experienced in their whole lives, in their whole life. Okay? All right. Uh, So, uh, and then it says, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. So each one of them... Again, is like a chapter in a book that you would probably read somewhere, right? It's probably not only the apostles. It's probably all 120 people, people that were together. And there was this vision. There was this wind that like came out of nowhere and like a fire on uh, above everyone's head, wind and fire. Again, these are not foreign metaphors and symbols of God visiting Israel. God's visitation upon Israel, all right? Again, when when we're studying or you hear messages on Acts chapter 2, you don't hear too much about Israel other than, oh, it took place on a Jewish holiday or something, Uh, you know. But this whole event is in the context of Jewish history. May I suggest that what we are reading about is a revival or a restoration of Israel. And throughout biblical history, there have been revivals, supernatural revivals in, in Israel. And this is one of them. But this is the mother load of revivals in Israel because this is the coming of the Messiah. This is the result of the death and resurrection and the ascension of the Messiah. And so this is a real game changer or is supposed to be, shall we say, a real game changer in Jewish history. Uh, in Jewish uh, history, okay? All right. Then we read, not only was there this rushing wind, and not only uh, do we read ab- about fire, right? What a memorable, first of all, let's just stop there. What a memorable experience this is meant to be, historically, not just for them, but from, for time immemorial afterwards. This is a moment to remember, and it should remind us of something I think we talked about on Shavuot, and that is Sinai. At Mount Sinai, if you have time later today, read the 19th chapter of Exodus, and then after that, read the fourth chapter of Deuteronomy, okay? Why do I say that? Because in the 19th chapter of Exodus, we read about smoke and fire and, I mean, an event that we're not supposed to ever forget, right? Right? This was the moment. This was another revival. This was another game-changing moment in Israelite or Jewish history where God visits them on this mountain, and it's kind of scary and all that, and they don't even even want to get near him. It's so scary, right? But here God commissions them as a nation. He had already made the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but now he commissions them as a nation. This is your calling, To live my way in my land and be a testimony to the nations. And so when we read 40 years later in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses says, remember this event. Remember the smoke. Remember the fire. Remember that you didn't see a visible, you know, uh, manifestation of God, but he was there in smoke and in fire and out of the midst of the fire. One of the great lines in the Bible. Out of the midst of the fire came his voice. Okay? Out of the midst of the fire came the voice of God. Right? And, of course, the voice of God gave them instruction, uh, gave them their reason for being, their reason for living, the way to live, their commission, the whole thing. Right? And so Moses says, remember that event. And so may I suggest that now, here in the second chapter of Acts, it's kind of like another Sinai moment. God visits them in a new way, in a way that the, prophet, that the prophets had promised so that Israel could fulfill her calling of being a witness or testimony to the nations to live a certain way, just like it's Sinai. The difference now is profound, Uh, and that is demonstrated for us in uh, the Gospel of John in chapter 1 in verse 17, where we read this, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Messiah Yeshua. I just want to mention the two words, given through Moses and realized in the Messiah. Okay, so at Sinai, they were given the word. They heard the word, right? Uh, here, now, the word is internalized via the Ruach HaKodesh for the purpose of testimony and witness, and not for the purpose of self-fulfillment, or to make me a better person. Of course it makes me a better person to fulfill the will of God. But the pouring out of the Ruach, this great manifestation, was not an end unto itself. Right? Okay? Very important. You know, uh, one of the things that this reminds me of is, um, you know, Abraham Joshua Heschel. You know, he, he once made a statement about Sinai that got him a little, um, not going to say in trouble, but uh, he, he was misunderstood a little bit by, by this uh, statement. Uh, he said, When you read about Sinai in the Bible, you're reading a midrash, okay? Now, if you know anything about that, a midrash is like a story. So what is he saying? Like, it's not a real thing? Like, you're reading reading a story about uh, something that maybe didn't happen? No. What he meant was, is that there's no way to adequately describe exactly what took place. And all we have are words. And so what he was saying was, is that all we have are words to describe this event, okay? We weren't there, so we have words. Luke is giving us words that give us the sense of what this was like, okay? Okay, but that's not all, right? That's not all. Uh, We read now uh, in verse 4, And they were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak, with other tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Okay? Now, the, the word, the, the, well, I need to read on, so then we'll, you'll, we'll see it. The whole thing is defined for us. The, now, there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. Okay, it's quite clear what's happening. Uh, uh, here, that not only is there this wind, not only is there this fire, but the people who were in Jerusalem, devout men, uh, right in Jerusalem. Now, this could be two—one uh, of two things: they're Jewish people, but either they're pilgrims coming uh, for Shavuot, or they were people from all over the region that were living in Jerusalem. At the time, one way or the other, they're devout. They're like religious, a bunch of religious Jews, <laughs> a bunch of religious, devout uh, men, uh, religious Jewish people were, were, were here and they were hearing this. OK, very important to understand. That's why this we don't get to really the Gentile mission for a little while yet. This is about a revival in Israel. OK, a revival among Jewish people. Uh, the this uh, calling of the Messiah to uh, the Jewish people, so very important to get. Okay, so here they hear. Well, it says, and very importantly, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other languages or other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Okay, so get this: the people in that room they weren't hearing a language; they were speaking other languages. Okay. They were speaking other languages that p- other people heard and recognized them as their own mother tongue. Okay? That's what the text says. All right? Okay. Now, that in and of itself, what, where does that come from? Why is that? So there's different, I understand. You know, see, the, the text, here's the thing. the thing. The Bible doesn't say this is exactly why. These are the um, these are the manifestations of the pouring out of of, of the ruach. Okay, uh, but we but we what we do understand what we can surmise is what 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 they mean. Did you ever ask yourself the question when it comes to this? What is it that the people were hearing? In other words, that's really the more the most important question. Hardly ever 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 gets asked. Were they just hearing like, hi, how are you? What's new? Hey, you can speak my language. That's pretty cool, you know? Or was there actually something significant that people were hearing in their own language? Well, thankfully, the text tells us what they were hearing in their own language that most of the time never gets talked about, okay? If you look down to verse 11, After the words Cretan and Arabs, it says, we hear them in our own tongues speaking the mighty deeds of God. (laughs) I mean, underline it or do something, okay? Put a little asterisk there, okay? Okay? Uh, Speaking the mighty deeds of God. That's the point. The point is they were speaking the mighty deeds of God. They began to testify They began to witness with power like Yeshua said they would do. Okay? So many times we read a passage like this and we say, I want that as like an end unto itself. Like, this is just for me. It's like something that for me. No. The point is, is that now they were beginning to be empowered to testify of the mighty deeds of God, including like, the resurrection of Yeshua, you know? Uh, And that is what's happening here. Now, there's more to say about this. Now, in verse 7, it says, And they were amazed and marveled, saying, Why are not all those who are speaking Galileans? Why are not all those who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of them in our own language to which we were born. In other words, primarily, it's the apostles. It could be all 120 people. We don't know. But people recognize them as Galileans. Why are these Galileans not speaking Galilean? Why are these Galileans speaking the language of Jews in Crete? What's going on? Because, you know, if you're a Jew from Galilee... You know, you don't really get the respect, right? Now, some people can speak other languages, other languages, but not these Galileans, you know? And so I thought that, you know, that's kind of interesting that uh, it's brought out right in the text, you know? These are Galileans, but we're hearing uh, them in our own languages. So you want to keep that in mind when you get down later uh, in Peter's speech. You got to wonder what language... He's speaking, but they're hearing him in varieties of languages. It's an amazing, miraculous thing. Uh, A great empowerment uh, of, uh, of the message. Now we have the list. The list of places. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia. Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the districts of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking the mighty deeds of God. What's interesting about this is, if you look on a map, you see people in, you know, uh, east and west and some north and some south. And these are all places where there are communities of Jews in the late Second Temple period, even in Crete. And Arabs here is not like Arabs you know, in the 21st century. It's Jews in Arabia, okay? Very important to, uh, to get that. You don't want to read like, oh, our understanding of everybody, you, you, you know, uh, now. No, these were Jews who were hearing this message. And what is amazing about this is that it's like a microcosm of the, of the restoration of Israel, like from the four corners of the earth, Jews from everywhere coming back to Jerusalem, hearing the message of Yeshua the Messiah. And you know, and, and so you really do get the sense of what Luke is trying to bring out here is that this is the beginning of the end in terms of revival. This is the beginning of the, of, the, of the revival, of the restoration, okay? Uh, and so really, that's what this is about. This is about revival. This is about restoration, you know? This is about being empowered to witness, being empowered to share the message of Yeshua and to be enthusiastic in doing it. This passage is not about, God, what are you going to do for me? This is about what God is doing in them for the purpose of the salvation of the nations. You know? And uh, very, very important. Very, very important for us to understand. Now, then it says, And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? Like, what's happening? You had people now... People heard what was going on, you know, in this room or wherever they were, and either they went outside in the streets or they went down toward the, you know, the temple or just people started congregating uh, around where they were, you know, where does this, you know, what does this mean? You know, word of mouth is an amazing thing. Do you remember, uh, not that this has anything to do with this, but it just comes to mind, do you remember in 1980 when in New York City, when John Lennon got shot, do you remember that? I remember I was watching a Monday night football game, uh, and Howard Cosell uh, announced it. Next thing, there are thousands of people outside of the Dakota, where, you know, by Central Park, where, where he lived. And there were thousands and thousands of people. You know, that's what happens. Here they heard, they heard something's going on. Something unbelievable is happening here. And multitudes, which means in the Bible, like many people, okay, came and, and wanted to know what's happening. And there was confusion, Uh, there was amazement, there was wonder, and there were rumors. Aren't there always rumors? Others were mocking and saying, they're drunk, right? They're drunk, they're full of sweet wine. This is crazy, right? And so now, Peter uh, gets up to speak. It says, but Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to the men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem. So we know who he's talking to. Because later on, he's going to say, in verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words. Okay? So that, by the way, is very fascinating, where he says, men of Judea, men of Israel. It's all Jews representing the four corners of the earth, uh, all of the tribes of Israel. Listen to what I'm saying, okay? Now, we will talk about what he's saying, but again, we see that he's going to now give this message to them and to explain it. And, And we just want to look at the beginning where it says, "'For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, "'for it is only the third hour in the day. "'But this is what was spoken of "'through the prophet Joel.'" And he reads this passage about the spirit of God being poured out. Now there are a number of passages that talk about the spirit of God being poured out, like Isaiah thirty-two fifteen and Isaiah forty-four three and Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-seven. I say that just to say that this is like this is the promise of the ruach being poured out. But he quotes the Joel passage because that is the central passage. Of the uh, the paring out of the ruach hakodesh, and so he reads the whole passage clearly. When you read this whole passage, everything happening is everything that he says is not exactly happening according to the text. But the point is, he's saying this is that. This is that. This is a. This is not, not drunk. This is not something weird. This is not some pagan religious experience. This is what. Our prophets promise us. This is it. This is the beginning of the end. And then he says, men of Israel, in verse 22, listen to these words. Yeshua the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs. Notice, miracles, wonders, and signs gave an attestation of the reality of Yeshua. Not of what have you done for me lately, God. It's never that. It's never that it's never an end unto itself. And by the way, I I, you know, I get it. I, by the way, in First Corinthians, because I think that might, I might be thinking, well, what about what's going on in First Corinthians? You know, in chapter fourteen, especially, right? Okay, it's a corrective. What is it a corrective for? It's a corrective for making tongues more important than everything else that there is, and uh, for not having proper order, and most importantly, an interpretation. Because the goal is always a message, not, oh, all right, I got it. No, it's always a message. And what does he say? He says, you don't want people to come into your assembly, think you're out of your mind, right? You have to have something to say. And so it's not about yes tongues, no tongues. No, it's about that it's not an end unto itself, nor is any kind of endowment from God upon an individual or community an end unto itself. It's always for the purpose of service. Okay? You know, it says, it just and it comes to mind, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse 7, it says, but to each one is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good, for the common good, for the good of the community, for the for the uh, good of the of the world, for for that matter. When the ruach is poured out here, it's for the world. It this is how you want to know what kind of conquering Yeshua wants to do in this world. It is through the emissaries. It is through the ruach demonstrated in the lives. of of Messiah followers. If, if Israel and the nations had embraced Yeshua en masse, the world would be a different place. If we would recognize this, and if we had the same kind of zeal for witness and testimony, the world would be a very different place. If we realize that we need the empowerment of the Ruach so that we can demonstrate the message to this world and not just for ourselves, the world would be a very different place. And that's what we, when we read this, that's what we're supposed to remember, just like we're supposed to remember Sinai that way, right? That's what, that's what Moses is saying to uh, the Jewish people. Remember Sinai. You were there at Sinai, even though you were born in the wilderness. You were there at Sinai. Never forget your calling. Never forget your reason for being. Never forget that God is with you and that he's going to conquer the land in you and through you and for you, right? For the purpose of the the, uh, glory of God and the kingship of God. That's what's happening here, okay? So let me just finish by saying this. And I can't help but do it. We'll talk about it again. on, So I'm just going to mention it. So Peter gives this message. And his message is basically that what you're seeing here today is prophetic. It's Jewish. It comes as a result of the Messiah coming and dying for our sins and being raised from the dead. That's what you see in here today. So the, what is the reaction of people? They were pierced in their heart and they want to know, what do we do? Right? And so the first thing that it says to do is repent. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Let each of you be immersed, right? Like we talked about in the name of Yeshua the Messiah for the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the Ruach. And this is a promise for everybody. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. Very important that. In Joel, we'll talk about this next time, but in Peter's message, it says that this is for all mankind, that this pouring out of the Ruach is for everybody. It begins just like Yeshua said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth, right? And so it's about turning the world upside down, not just Israel, but turning the world upside down. And they were waiting and they were praying in that upper room. Yes, now the Ruach has been poured out. When we embrace Yeshua, we have the Ruach. Um, but it is quite clear that there are times in history, different times in history, when God has done uh, just a, a pouring out of this spirit, a Spirit, a, a unique moment uh, in, uh, in history. What do we see the result is here? At the end of uh, chapter 2, everyone was feeling it. Well, I should go back a little farther. It says... They were continue, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. So that's quite clear, through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together in one place and had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions. They were just, man, they were just sold out for Yeshua. So the whole thing is like this model for us, this paradigm for us. So what is the takeaway for us here? May I suggest that we need to be praying. We need to be praying for another pouring out of the ruach in, in our midst, but not just so we feel good about ourselves or that we, we uh, fill every seat in the place or something like that, but so that we can be a testimony so that people, hurting people in our world, can know Yeshua, We need to always be ready to share the message in season and out. We need to demonstrate that kind of way of life that just like with Yeshua, people are attracted to the good news because it's good news. It's not bad news that we're forced to share. Okay, you know, Uh, it's like I'm with a group of people and I'm going to be the Debbie Downer because I got to tell you some good news. You know, it's not, that's not how it's supposed to work. Uh, All right. It is indeed good news when people see Yeshua in our lives. Abide in me and I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay. That this is the outworking of passages like that. See. Uh, And so we see that they were powerful. And when you read now in chapter three, uh, Peter is going to, well, we're going to see in chapter 3 something very interesting. He heals somebody, and everybody wants to know, okay, well, is he healing everybody? Why isn't everybody get? and he has to explain that this is the beginning, that this is not the end of the end, this is the beginning of the end. That's his speech in chapter 3. And then we're going to see in chapter 4 and chapter 5 and 6 and beyond that nothing can stop this message. No prison can stop this message. No persecution can stop this message. And that he uses everybody. It's an amazing thing. He uses everybody. He uses poor people, rich people. He uses people that are basically homeless people. He uses people that would be castaway people. These are the people that he uses. Why? Because they're filled with the Ruach, and now they can fulfill this calling of being this testimony. Wouldn't it be great if if our, if our burning desire was sharing the message, being filled with the Ruach and sharing the message. I I don't guarantee anything. But I would surmise that if we had just a sustained prayer time and a vision for being empowered to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the remotest part of the earth, God would indeed honor that prayer, and that would happen. And it would happen here at Beth Messiah and it would happen among other believers because that is what he wants us to do. It's not about legislating laws and it's not about hating groups of people or anything like, you know, all that that stuff. It's about turning the world upside down with Yeshua. And that is what they did. And that was the kickoff to the restoration of Israel. And uh, that's why this... Is such an important passage in the scriptures. Let's pray, Lord. I pray, God, that we would uh, we would uh, have a new enthusiasm for you, Lord. That you would indeed uh, pour out your Spirit, just like you did on like uh, Jonathan Edwards, and 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 just like you did on uh, the Wesleys, and just like you did earlier on in different eras and times, and in this century in varieties of Places and opportunities. Lord, we pray, God, that uh, there would be a revival. Uh, we could say, may we have another Yeshua movement. You know, uh, Lord, we pray uh, that uh, the day would come again when the college campus wouldn't be the battleground, but it would be the place of, fert- of fertility uh, for your kingdom uh, as it was uh, in a, a I guess a couple of, a generation ago, we'll say. Uh, Lord, we pray, God, that uh, you would use us mightily. And so, God, we pray for those of us that are here today that feel used up. Lord, I pray for those that are here today that feel like they just, they missed the boat or, you know, the boat has left the dock uh, and I'm not on it anymore. Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would be empowered by your ruach. I pray for an anointing, Lord, upon each of us. Not for our own selves, but that we would have a burden for this world, Lord. And so, God, we pray. Therefore, we pray for an openness in our community, in our Jewish community and the community at large. And, Lord, may the most powerful thing we do be a testimony. Lord, I pray we wouldn't worry so much about how does it look, how does it, what did I say, but that we would be just spiritually ready and that you would put the words in our mouth, Lord. And God, uh, we're just going to trust you for this. And may our study of the book of Acts yield real fruit, Lord, just like it did back then. And God, we thank you and we praise you that you have opened up our eyes and unstopped our ears so that we could repent and we could be immersed and we could have forgiveness of our sins and that we have the Ruach. But Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would have his way with us. As Paul commanded the Ephesians be filled with the Holy Spirit, be filled. Sing to one another, give praise, give thanks yield to one another live the kind of life that is attractive attractively spiritual attractively messianic attractive to people to know that they can they can have a real life and real meaning and that whatever is holding them back can be dissolved lord for there is more power in the ruach than there is in anything in this world for he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So God, we thank you for that great promise. We thank you that we are recipients of it. And Lord, we pray that we might be empowered. We pray in Yeshua's name, amen.